Acts 3, Part 1, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter, on. So today we're going to look at Acts chapter 3. We're going to focus on the entire chapter, but we're going to break it up into two sections. And so what I want to do is I want to read the first 10 verses of Acts chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn there with me, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And uh, I'm reading from the New International Version, just in case you're wondering. Uh, Here we go, verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. He was hoping to get money from them, of course. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God when all the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gates, called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, we come to you right now. We thank you for Acts chapter 3, for the great things that your Holy Spirit's doing amongst the midst of the apostles. God, would you open our hearts to receive what you will have to teach us today? I pray, God, that any in this room today who kind of feel like a wanderer or maybe they feel kind of lost in life right now, whether it's a hard situation in life that they're going through or just even some of the uncertainties that they may be experiencing. God, I pray that you would really speak to us, encourage us, but most of all, God, that you would help us to live a fully devoted life to you. So I pray, God, that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray, God, it would be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen. So what we find here is that Peter and John, they go to the temple. And as they go to the temple, they're going there to pray. Now, what we've learned here is that the early church, they basically practiced their Jewish faith. They went to the temple to pray every day. The only thing that was different was that they went and they prayed to Jesus Christ. That was the main difference here, right? That they went and they prayed to Jesus Christ. And as they were going to the temple, they saw this paralyzed man whom it wasn't the first time that they saw them. In fact, they saw them, they saw him many times. And as they saw him there, he was begging for money, asking for money. What we learned from Luke is that this man was paralyzed since birth. And so as a result of it, he had no means to get to the temple courts. And so people carried him and placed him there in the morning. And his job was to basically beg for money. Was this money going back to him? Probably not. In fact, he was probably working for those people who were carrying him there. We can assume that, that he was making money for them. And at the end of the day, they'd pick him back up and bring him back home, and they probably provided a shelter for him, they probably provided food for him, but this man was working for these people and he gave them the money in which he earned. That was basically his job, to make matters worse. I just want you to immerse yourself in trying to think of what life was like for this paralyzed man. Back in those days, when you were born with a physical defect, when you were born paralyzed, spiritual leaders told you that you were cursed by God. That's what they did. They really could use Pastor Shirley's ministry back in those days, right? Pastor Shirley would have something else differently to say. 
But what happened was that they believed that they were cursed. So could you just imagine every day waking up that uh, believing that God had cursed you? Maybe there was a moment even in this man's life where he was hopeful that maybe God would heal him of him being paralyzed and he prayed that God would maybe allow him to walk one day. Maybe he had hoped to achieve that and experience that one day, but he didn't. And as a result of that, every single day of his life was the same every day. It was a day filled with really no hope in life. And I don't know if you can identify with that, where you've experienced a long period of time in your life where every day seems to be days filled with no hope. That was what life was like for this man who was completely paralyzed, right? He had, as a result of that, he had lost all capa- capacity to dream. I think one of the great things in life, like when I was a kid growing up, you know how much I daydreamed? Man, I dreamed all the time. And it was my safe place to get away from kind of the life that I had been living growing up. And so without dreaming, I, I don't know if I was able to survive. My dream, I was a pitcher for the New York Yankees. I was dreaming about that all the time. I was practicing in my house, pretending I was pitching in the World Series. I was dreaming about certain things. This man had lost all capacity to dream. And you know what his life was reduced to? Best case scenarios. It's sad when our lives are reduced to best case scenarios. Where we think, well, best case scenario, let's just hope this happens. His best case scenario is maybe today I'll get more money than I got yesterday. That was what his life was reduced to. He had lost all capacity to dream because of him living under what he believed was a curse. And as a result of that, he had no ability to dream. When I first started going to South Africa every year, I started meeting young kids. I started meeting young teenagers, even young adults. And I would ask them, I would say, hey, what's your dream? What do you dream? What, what do you hope to become one day? And in the beginning, because of what poverty was doing into their lives, they just looked at me with blank stares. They had no dreams. It was one of the saddest things I've ever seen and witnessed, that these young people had no dream in life. Even these young adults, they had no dream because they were ravaged by poverty, they were ravaged by HIV, and they've lost family members as a result of it. So because of their hardships, they've lost capacity to dream. And they started living their life on best case scenarios. Can you identify with that a little bit? Can you identify with being at a place in your life where you had best case scenarios and you were living with that? And that's what this man was doing. He was living his life every day with a best case scenario. But what he forgot was that God had a dream for him. His dream was that he would walk one day. And I believe God has a dream for all of you as well today. That he created you for a sense with a deep sense of purpose today. That there was a certain reason why he created you. There's a reason why you're here on this earth. There's a reason why you're breathing today. There's a reason why you're here today because God created you. He didn't just create you and just say, do whatever you want. But there's a deeper sense of purpose. And so maybe, maybe the things that we go to God with in prayer are things that maybe we shouldn't be going to God in prayer with. Maybe there's something deeper that God wants to do, right? Maybe there's something deeper that God wants to do than you maybe winning that $1.6 billion lotto ticket next week. How many are you going to play that? Right? And guess what they say? If, it's not, if nobody wins, it's going to go up to $2 billion. Right? Maybe you shouldn't be praying about that necessarily. Right? Chance of you winning that's one in 350 million. So you, you got a better chance of getting hit by lightning than winning the lotto. All right, sorry. I know some of you are dreaming right now. You're dreaming what you're going to do with that $1.6 billion right, in your life. But maybe there's something deeper that God wants to do in your life to make you to believe that something so much greater and so much more joy that you can receive than just $1.6 billion. 
and it's him. If you would just see that, that every day you get to win the lotto every single day, but you're not willing to play it. You're not willing to play it. Maybe some of you are praying that you would find that man or that woman, you're maybe single and you want to date, so you're dating, hoping to find that person. I get it. Maybe if you are dating, you're hoping that maybe you'll meet somebody better because you feel like the one that you have right now is not very good. And so you just want to hold on to them though right now just because you don't want to let them go. So you're just going to hold on to them until you meet somebody better. Have you ever felt like that before? It's horrible if you're in that place. Don't ever do that. It's horrible. I did that for so long when I was dating my wife, Jenny. When I, when I was dating her in college, I thought I was way too good for her. I thought she didn't deserve my love. I wrote her poetic letters. I wrote her poems, sonnets, everything. What guy does that, right? I sent it over to her in hopes that she would read it and that she would be so touched she would be moved to tears. Never once <laughs> was she moved to tears. Never once was she like, oh my God, like I had such a bad day, I read it. Like changed my life, thank you. I'm so blessed to have a man like you in my life that loves me so much. Not even one time. And so I just felt like she don't deserve me. She doesn't deserve my love. What was my problem in essence? My problem was that I was trying to fill a void in my heart where I wanted her to fill. And because she wasn't filling that void, I felt like she wasn't good enough for me. And that void that's in our heart that we want other people to fill, you gotta hear me on this. Only God can fill it. There's nothing else in this world that can fill that void that's in your heart. You want money to fill it up. You want status. You want fame. You want a person to fill that in. It's never going to happen. I was never able to be a good partner to her until I realized that only God can fill the void, not her. It's the only way. And so maybe the things that you're praying for today are just best-case scenarios. And you've forgotten the dreams that God has for you that he created you for a purpose in this world. Do you feel stuck today? Have you lost all capacity to dream? Are you just kind of going through the motions of life? Tomorrow you're gonna wake up, get on a bus, go to New York City and start working. Or you're gonna get up in the morning, get your kids ready for school. You're just gonna keep doing the same old, same old, same old thing. Do you feel stuck today? Well, if you listen closely, God is gonna help us to see something. He's gonna teach you how you and I can live the life we were created for how he, we can really truly live the life we were created for so that we do not live our lives every day thinking that we're nothing but a human doing, but you realize that you were created to embrace that you are a human being, that you're created in the very image of God and there's a life that he wants you to live in. He's created a life for you. So that's my hope and my prayer. And so when we look at the first 10 verses, the first thing we learn in how we can do this and how we can live the life that we were created for is the most important part of doing this is reliance on the Holy Spirit. If you wanna truly live the life that God created you for, you have to learn to rely upon the Holy Spirit. What do you rely upon today? I know you rely upon something, all of you do. Man, Monday, Cindy and I, we were in Wisconsin, we landed in Chicago O'Hare, and I had to drive from O'Hare to Wisconsin, two hour drive. If I didn't have my navigation system, my phone, if I didn't rely upon this thing, I would never have been able to get there. I rely upon this phone so much in my life, so much. I realize that if I don't have this, I don't know what, I lose, my calendar is here, everything is here. I rely upon my phone so much. 
We rely upon things in life. There are things that we do rely upon. The question is this, do you rely upon the Holy Spirit? Do you rely upon the Holy Spirit? Because for Peter, and we find for John, that they truly did rely upon the Holy Spirit. Yeah, they had an agenda for the day. They were gonna go and pray. Three o'clock in the afternoon. They had an agenda to pray. But what they did at the end was that they were relying upon the Holy Spirit every day of their lives. That as they relied upon the Holy Spirit, what began to happen was is that they were open to the movements of the Holy Spirit. And as they were going to the temple courts to go and pray to God, they saw this man whom they probably saw every single day because he was there every day. And because they were open, for some way, somehow, the Holy Spirit whispered into their ears, tell this man to walk. And they were led and they were guided by it. You see, when you and I, can ne- we, we're never going to live the life God created us for if we don't have a healthy sense of relying upon the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus, remember he tells the disciples, don't go out and minister. Stay here. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is going to guide you and navigate and help you to navigate through the difficult terrains of life. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And when we don't rely upon that Holy Spirit, how can we live the life that God created us for, seriously? No, I know it's so easy to go on every single day without relying upon the Holy Spirit because we're so good at doing that regularly. I do it all the time. But really, when you think about this, we cannot go on daily living our lives without relying upon the Holy Spirit because then we're going to use our logic to make terrible decisions for us. How many of us have made decisions that we think logically it makes sense But as we made those decisions, we still regret till this day. And some of those decisions you just can't take back. You really can't. And you've suffered from it for years upon years because of those terrible decisions that we've made. And so please understand how the Holy Spirit wants you to rely upon him. Be open to how he guides you. Because the disciples, if if I were like the disciples, I'd say, get out of my way. i got to go pray to God. They were open. They relied upon the Holy Spirit. They guided him every, every way. And as they did that, the Holy Spirit led them to who? To this man. And they said, rise and walk. And they allowed the Holy Spirit to use them as a conduit where God's power and his grace and his mercy touched this man where he walked for the very first time in his life. You see, if you cannot submit yourself to being led by the Holy Spirit, relying upon the Holy Spirit to guide you to navigate through life, then many times our life is just really ordinary. The extraordinary things, sometimes you hear these stories of extraordinary things that are happening in some people's lives, I think often happens when they're being guided by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's using them in a certain way. And when we're not being led by the Holy Spirit and not being guided by him, then we really don't experience these supernatural things that begin to, that the Holy Spirit wants to use us to impact people's lives today. What I love about this is that, you know, Peter, when, when, um, was explaining why they were speaking these unknown languages, that's, you know, and he was saying that, you know, listen, we're not drunk. Everyone said that you were drunk. That's why they were speaking in these unknown, unknown languages. And Peter says, no, we're not drunk. He says, this is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is gonna do a lot more signs and wonders. You wait and see. Here's a testimony of it. Here's an example of the signs and wonders. When you and I rely upon the Holy Spirit, do you know God wants to use you? Do you know he wants to use you so that people can see signs and wonders? Amen? Amen. That maybe perhaps through your life, people would be able to experience a powerful presence of God. 
Don't ever underestimate how God could use you if you rely upon the Holy Spirit today. And one of the most powerful moves of the Holy Spirit that I've ever encountered wasn't necessarily a man who's paralyzed being able to walk. I mean, that's beautiful to see. But it's people being able to love each other, people being able to see the brokenness of other people. And rather than being you know, so quick to judge and pounce on them, they're able to understand people's brokenness and love and care for them. It's the greatest power of the Holy Spirit. I had a friend, and uh, she called me a few years ago. She had a real good job, like a, a job I think she would probably say was her dream job. She definitely would say that now. She was getting paid good money. Um, she was a mom, and so, uh, you know, her boss was so caring, understood her life stage, never allowed her to work past 5 p.m., go home, go home, be with your family. I mean, it was an amazing boss. She did well in the company. They gave her good bonuses. She loved it. But because she was good at what she did, there were other companies that were pursuing her, headhunters and different people. And so there was this one startup company that pursued her, and they pursued her hard. They rolled out the red carpet. They offered her a salary that her boss couldn't compete with, a lot more money. They offered her stock options because, again, it's a startup, and she believed that if, if she were to go to this company and the company had, you know, had an IPO, it would go well. They would make a whole lot of money. And so she decided to do it. And in less than a month, she comes to me and she starts crying and tells me that she'd made the worst decision of her life. These people who recruited her were now blaming her for the company's misfortunes. She had no, nothing to do with it. She was struggling so much and she said to me, she said, I wish I would have sought God more for this decision. And she, she can't go back to her old job because she left it and she was stuck with this one. And so many of us, we make those decisions. We make these logical choices thinking that this is the best decision. But have you relied upon the Holy Spirit upon that decision? Have there been certain things that God has been helping you with and navigating your life with? That's going to be huge, all right? So how do we begin to rely upon the Holy Spirit? It really is when you can embrace the unknown for your life. That's the best way in how you can rely upon the Holy Spirit is when you embrace the mystery. I love Peter here. How about you? If the Holy Spirit told you, pray for this man, because I'm going to use you to make him walk, would you say, yeah, I'll do it? Wouldn't you have a little doubts? I'm like, oh, man, what happens if he doesn't walk? Like, what happens if I grab him and he falls right back down? I mean, people are going to look at me. You know, you just resurrected a little while ago, Jesus. I don't want to make you look bad. I want to do that. What assurance do I have that this man's going to walk? I mean, come on. Holy Spirit, what, what assurance can you give me that he's actually going to walk if I say walk? I mean, that's, I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like me before God tells me to do something. He embraced the unknown. He embraced the mystery, and by God, he had to embrace the fact that perhaps maybe he may not walk, but he's going to trust anyway. Isn't that beautiful? You see, there are going to become moments in your life where God's going to tell you to take some steps and listen, research it, you know, talk to different people, figure out ways. But listen, God is not going to tell you everything and he's not going to give you a 100% insurance policy before you act and do something. That's just not how God rolls. And if you and I want to get to a place where we want to live the life that God created us to live, you got to embrace the mystery and you got to walk forward and trust that God will see you every step of the way. Right, because when the Israelites were walking through that Red Sea, Jewish scholars have said this. They said that when they went through that Red Sea, God didn't part it, and then they walked through. Every single one of those people had to get in that water, and the water was neck deep before it parted. See, that's what faith is. If you want all the assurance before you take the step, Metro, it's not faith. 
And we have to be willing to embrace the mysteries, embrace the unknowns, knowing that God is going to hold you and take you through it every step. The only assurance that he gives to you is this, I will be there with you. I will never forsake you, nor will I ever leave you. Amen? It's good enough. It's all you need. So can you begin to rely upon the Holy Spirit today so that you can live the life that he created you for? Because there's a potential in you that you don't even see. But if you embrace the mystery, you'll be able to see it little by little. I hope you will. When I first graduated from seminary, when I was in seminary and God told me to plant this church, you know, people who graduate seminary, don't, they don't just go and plant a church. There's usually a path, youth group, adult ministry for a few years, and then maybe you go into planting a church. And there were some of the students, they weren't like good friends of mine, but they kind of basically said, who do you think you are to go and plant a church after graduating seminary? They, those were appropriate questions. I certainly didn't feel like I could do this. And the only assurance I had was that God will be with me. And that's it. And I hope that you will, that if you feel like there's a moment that God is leading you to do certain things, that you would invite some people to pray with you, but when they give you the green light, go for it. And even though you may not know what's going to happen, it's okay. It's okay. No one in this room, honestly, if I'm just going to speak into your life right now, I wouldn't sign up for it either probably. Nobody in this room would want to get to a place in your life where all you have is Jesus Christ and nothing else to depend upon. Nobody in this room would say, I'll sign up for that any day of the week. No, we want to have some assurance. We want to have some certainties in our life. We don't want to have nothing else in life but only Jesus to rely upon. For many of us, we see that as a time of tremendous suffering. But you know what God sees that as? A spiritual sweet spot. Because when you have nothing left to depend upon but God and God alone, you're in the most beautiful place to be. Because that's when God parts the Red Sea in your life. Rely upon the Holy Spirit, because when you rely upon the Holy Spirit, you'll live the life that God created you for. The second thing that happens that we need to do in order for us to live the life that God created us for is that we have to learn to live in the truth. This is so hard. We have to learn to live in the truth. Look at verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, I mean, guys, you got to... Peter, crazy, man. He's crazy. Look what he does. They're all like, my gosh, this got to be an act of God. This is awesome. Look what he does. Look what he says here. He's crazy. Fellow Israelites, why, is this, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus Christ. You handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. 
But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Basically he's saying you all going to hell. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophet and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offsprings, all people on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, He sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Peter is speaking some serious truths here right now. And there's two kinds of truths that he's speaking upon that you and I have to learn to live by. The first set of truths that Peter is trying to help them to see is he wants them to embrace the truth of who they are. He's defining reality of some of the sins that they've committed. That's a truth that you and I have to be willing to live by. Is it hard for you? to embrace truths about you. Now the good truths, I think all of you possess wonderful, good stuff about you. I don't think we struggle with that. In fact, I hope you have a lot of people speak that into your life, because you do. But here's the kicker. Are you okay with receiving truth that may not be good news for you? Truths that some people see in you and they're able to sit down and confront you about it. Are you willing to receive those kinds of truths? Because that's what Peter did. I mean, these people were astonished. These people were amazed at what had happened. And Peter just slams them with a truth bomb. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are pretty excited about this, aren't you? Like, we didn't do this. It's not our spirituality that did this. Guess who did it? It's the God that you killed. I mean, that's crazy. He's throwing some truth bombs at them. And that was key for him to do that, for him to do that so that they could finally realize what they had done because they will never live under the truth of who God is unless they first live under the truth of what they've done and what they've committed. And so do you have people in your lives that speak truth into you? Do you know some of your blind spots, some of your weak, weak area, the weak side in your area that you need to grow in? I do hope that you have some people that will speak those kinds of truths into your life because if you do, I am telling you, you are on your way to growing and living the life that God created for you. Beware of people that are always nice to you because they don't really love you, in my opinion. Those who truly love you will sit down and actually share some truths about you. All right, about a week and a half ago, I got together with a lady leader in our church, one of the higher lady leaders, one of the top leaders in our church, and she wanted to sit down with me to kind of just share with me some truths that I needed to hear, all right? And I know she didn't want me to get hurt and things like that, so we, we met up and she said, hey, you know, Peter, I'm not sharing this to try to hurt you. And I just said to her, I said, hey, listen, time out. I said, time out. There's nothing you can say to me that's going to hurt me because I know you care for me. I know you love me and you serve our church so wholeheartedly. So I said, please do not sugarcoat anything. Let me have it. And she did. She shared some things that I needed to see that I had not seen, some truths that I need to look at in my own life to help me to grow, to help me to think back and take a step back and say, yeah, I got to do this differently. I got to grow. These are some blind spots I didn't even see. Those are important to have. You see, for me, it was a term of endearment more than me feeling attacked. And I want you to know that this is so critical, that if you want to live the life that God created for you to live, that the life that you want, you want to live, you need to have some people that are going to sit and share truths about you. 
that they're going to be able to speak those kinds of truths into your life because you're never going to fully grow if you don't. And here's the other thing about this. What, what, what Peter does after he shares that truth, he tells the people to repent. He goes, repent. Because if you do, the Holy Spirit will renew you and fill you in your lives. How can you repent if you don't know the truth of some of the blind spots that you have in your life? How can you repent when you don't even, you're not even aware of some of the sins that you're committing in your own life? When the Holy Spirit breathes his life into us, when we repent, you see, in any relation that you and I have, honestly, any relation that you and I have, whenever you do something wrong or you hurt somebody in that relationship, if there isn't reconciliation, if there isn't repentance involved in that, you're never going to be intimate with that person. My parents, they fought all the time. They never said sorry once, not even once. There was always a barrier, many barriers in their relationship because they were not able to say, I'm sorry. You know what that really signifies? It means that I don't respect you enough to apologize for how I hurt you. That's what that means. And when you sin against God, because God created you, when you sin against it, God created you for this relationship that he wants with you. And God never messes up in his relationship with you, but we do, of course we do. And when we don't say, God, would you forgive me for what I've done, then you don't respect this relationship enough to ask God to forgive you. And so when you live in the truth and let people confront you, and even as you start to realize some truths about you that you need to work on, you repent and you experience that renewal in God. And so that helps you. And then when you're at that place, right, Peter says the Holy Spirit will begin to fill you right? To do what? To learn the truth of who God is. You see, we have to live under the truth of who God is because Jesus says in John chapter 8, verses 31, 32, I'm sorry, I think only 32 is up there, but I'm going to read 31 and then 32. 31, it says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you what? Free. The truth will set you free. He's talking about God, that as you and I devote our lives to learning the truth of who God is, then that truth will truly set us free. Because there's so many things in this world today where, where we will be held captive, where we'll feel like we're held in bondage to, that we have to be willing to know the truth of who God is. Because it's only in the truth of who God is that we can be set free. It's such a key component to us living the life that God has created for us. And if we don't do this, Metro, if you don't dedicate your life living under the truth of who God is, then you know what you base your Christian faith on? Your emotions. You follow God based upon how you feel. And then what you begin to reduce God as is you begin to reduce him as a problem solver for your life. That he's there just to solve all of your problems. No, no, that's not God. God is not here to solve all of your problems. God is here to be in a relationship with you, and he promises to walk with you through all of those problems in your life. That's what he promises you and I to do. He never says he's going to take them away. He's, actually, he says, you know what? Be ready because you're going to have some problems. you got to go pick up that cross and follow me. When you follow God with your emotions, when you go through hardships, you're going to think God doesn't love you. But when you live in the truth of who God is, even when you go through hardships, you're going to see those as an opportunity, as a laboratory in how God can deepen your faith in him because God promises to be there with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. And that's the God that I would like to worship and serve, not a God who just answers all of my problems, answers all of my prayer requests, but a God who promises to walk with me and that God that I can live in a deep relationship with. So I hope that you dedicate yourself to living in the truth of who God is. You know, Pastor David Hosang, 
uh, and uh, Pastor Mike, they came up with uh, a program in our church called MIT. And it's not the university, but MIT stands for Metro Institute of Transformation. I love the names they come up with. It's amazing. <laughs> Metro Institute of Transformation. It's a spiritual formation school that we want you to dedicate yourselves to. There are 16 courses that you can take. And these 16 have been carefully designed and crafted holistically to see how you and I can live in deeper truths of who God is and who we are. And so this semester, if you don't know this, Michael, uh, Mike is teaching emotionally healthy spirituality. And please understand that you can never be spiritually healthy unless you're first emotionally healthy. He does a wonderful job teaching this. I used to teach this back in the day. He does a much better job than I do. And he's teaching people to be more emotionally healthy, to go back, to kind of process how they grew up, looking at sort of the, the, the shadows or, or the sort of the scripts that their parents had given to them to kind of grow through that and so they can be set free, right? That's a great thing. And then Pastor Kevin is leading a course called Financial Peace University. If you, having, if you have a lot of debt, like credit card debt today, you're not living in freedom. You're living in bondage right now. And so Pastor Kevin, um, he's, they're going through the Dave Ramsey stuff, and it's great. It's an opportunity for you to learn, and how can we begin to let go of the strong grip that money has over us today? Because it's not about you making more money to get out of debt. That's not how you're going to get out of debt. You'll get into more debt. You know what it's about? It's about you having a right posture of what money is really about. A lot of us, we don't have that posture, and because of that, we go into incredible debt after it. And so there are 16 courses that will take probably about two years to do. I want to encourage all of you to make sure you sign up for that. And guess what happens if you finish? You get a degree. <laughs> a metro degree. But you know what else you get? I said to David, I said, we've got to call Alliance Theological Seminary. I said, we've got to meet with the dean of theology there and see if, we, if, they, if our people finish these 16 courses, can they get some credits towards a master's of theology degree? Would they give us some credits for that? And so we met up with the dean about a month ago. We pitched it to him. And you know what he said? He said yes. Oh, wow. He said yes. If you finish the 16 courses, you will get six credits to complete a master's of theology degree. Now, you only need 36 credits to get an MAT. I cannot believe that. You only need 36 credits to get a master's of theology. And he says, if your people go through the 16 courses, because next semester is Old Testament, New Testament. There's a ton of biblical courses that David is going to teach and his team is going to teach. And he realized that they're good enough that he will give people in our church who sign up for it six credits. Yo, you can't go wrong with that. Not only you might get an MAT, you're going to be able to live under the truth of who God is. So that whatever season of life happens, you can stay strong because you're going to be deeply rooted in the truth of who God is. Because the more you know about who God is, the more you know about who you are. And the more you'll be able to not listen to the voices of the world trying to make you to believe something that you ain't that God wants you to believe in who you are. Living in the truth. Living in the truth will help you to live the life you were created for. That the very last thing, in order for us to live the life that we were created for, we need to exist to bring glory to God. You and I have to exist to bring glory to God. It's not easy to say that you want to live your life for one purpose and one purpose only. It's the glory of God. But it's the way and how God will be able to show you the life that he created for you to live. If you're a glory stealer, he's not gonna reveal it to you. 
and you won't be able to live into it. But if you are willing to bring, if you are willing to say, I exist today to bring God all the glory, then God will use you. And God will show you the life, I think, that you always wanted to live. If there was ever a moment where Peter could have stolen that glory, it was at that moment. The dude's walking. He's happy. He's rejoicing. It says that everyone was astonished. They were amazed at what happened. If there was ever a moment that Peter said, yeah, it was me. It could have been this moment. But what does he say? He said, why are you guys so amazed? Do you think it's because of us? you think it's because of my spirituality that made this guy walk? Come on. No. It was Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. You see, he gave God all the glory. And you and I, have to, we have to catch this because we don't live in a day and age today where we find people who live for the glory of God only. We live, we live in a day and age where people are living for the glory of themselves. Right? And you got to be careful because social media is one of the strongest platforms today that's going, that nurtures this idea that you should just live for your own glory. I mean, celebrities have PR firms that work on them receiving glory. Politicians have PR firms that work on their image so that they can receive all the glory. We live in a culture today where it's all about you receiving glory. We don't live in a culture, and I would even go as far as to say the church culture is a place where we actually say that we're going to live our lives for the glory of Jesus Christ. And if you and I can get there, if you and I can get to the place where we're going to say we're going to exist from this day forward to only live to exist to bring God all the glory, then you will discover what you were created for. God will reveal it to you. Look at what this man does in verse 8. This man who finally walks for the very first time. All he does, the first thing he does is glorify God. He jumped to his feet. And began to walk, it says in verse 8. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, it says that they were absolutely astonished and absolutely amazed at what is going on here. God wants to use you, but you got to be willing to give him all the glory. You see, Peter knew he couldn't take any of the glory. Why? Because he knew who he was. Jesus called him Satan one time. You guys remember that? And then he denied Jesus three times. Even though he promised it, I will die with you tonight. Never am I going to betray you. And he does three times. Peter knew that there's no way he can be faithful to God if it wasn't for God's grace and his mercy. And so whatever good that comes out of him, Peter goes, I know this is all glory to God. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, he says that God often chooses the foolish and the poor to confound the rich and the wise. Because those are the people who give all the glory to God. And they're able to do that. Listen, you cannot give glory to God unless you minister. You cannot give glory to God. You cannot exist to want to give God glory unless you actually minister. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, hello, minister. And if you know their name, say their name. Turn to their name and go, hello, minister. Whatever, right? Say, hello, minister. Or if you don't know them, say, you're called to be a minister. (laughs) Hey, ministers aren't pastors. We're all ministers, amen? Amen. And the only people who can exist to give God glory are those who sign up and say, I am a minister of God. If you're not willing to say, I am a minister, or maybe a better word I could say is, if you're not willing to say, I am a servant of God, God can't use you to bring him glory. 
God wants to use your life to bring him glory so that when people look at you, they're not going to be like, wow, look how great this person is. They're going to say, I can't believe it. To God be the glory. Look at this guy. To God be the glory. Look at this gal. To God be the glory. Look at what God is doing. It's only God that can do things like that. God, Metro, didn't just save you from something. God saved you for something. He saved you for something. He didn't just save you from something. He saved you for something, Metro. And we have to be willing to see that. Now, the best way in how we can exist to give God glory is to minister in teams. Always minister in teams. Don't do no solo act because a solo act is very easy to receive that glory for yourself. Peter never ministered alone. He was with John here. Peter always ministered with others. In fact, if you look at, if you fast forward to Acts chapter 10, we'll get there in a few months, when you went to Cornelius' house, how many dudes did he bring with him? Six. Peter never ministered alone because maybe, maybe perhaps Peter knew that if he did, he might steal some of God's glory. So he needed somebody to say, what, Peter? No, 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 no. It's God, not you. You better stop that. You better stop acting like that. Paul, Paul never ministered by himself. He was always with Barnabas. He was always with Timothy. He was always ministering with someone else as well. And so when you're ministering just by yourself, you got to really beware. Are you really doing the right thing? Because the early church, these guys who were filled with the Holy Spirit, I mean, paralyzed people were walking. They never dare minister by themselves. Why? Because maybe they believed that they would be stealing the glory of God. Because they wanted to so exist to bring God all the glory. Man, if you only can taste the joy and the happiness and the peace that comes when we exist to bring God glory. And when you decide to serve God and you experience a little bit of that glory and you give it all to God, the joy that happens in that exchange is really amazing. We lived a life that we were created to live when we rely upon the Holy Spirit, when we live in the truth and when we exist to give God all the glory. Amen? Amen. If we don't do that, then we often live the life that we were not created to live. And that can be a very dangerous life, a life filled with a lot of hurt and pain. And really going through that hurt and pain becomes sort of a dead end. There's no way out. And I marvel at people when I see people who live life and who've gone through some of the most difficult circumstances in life, and yet there's no dead end. They experience a life that is something they shouldn't be experiencing in light of what they've gone through in life. But they know that God is with them every step of the way. I know some of you in this room, you've gone through some hardships in your life. I know that. But it's not a dead end. That there's an opportunity right now that if you will rely upon the Holy Spirit, that if you will live in the truth, and if you will exist to give God glory, God can breathe life into all of those things that oftentimes you believe are holding you back from living the life he created you for. When I think about that kind of person that sort of defied all the eyes, it's my mom. My mom is my hero. Now, my mom isn't perfect, please. She is not perfect at all. She could be very annoying. Uh-huh, all right, Tira, your mom's right next to you, be careful. <laughs> you know, my mom is like this fundamentalist, you guys know her, man. She gives me so much, oh, a mouthful. <laughs> When I drink wine, she's like, what are you doing? And, you know, I used to get, like, three bottles delivered every other month, and she used to go crazy when it used to come through the mail. She used to think I was an alcoholic, <laughs> right? And, um, you know, she used to hate it when I go watch movies. 
She thought a pastor shouldn't go watch a movie. I mean, she had no problems when I w- stayed at home and watched the movie at home. But when I went to the theater, she thought that was like demonic. I shouldn't be doing that. She would bother me before. Like, thank God I don't spike my hair anymore. But when I used to spike my hair, she had the greatest issues with that. So my mom is not like perfect, but she's a hero. She's a hero. She grew up as an orphan at the age of nine. Father, mom didn't even know her mother because she was too young. Barely remembers her father. Her grandparents took care of her. And at the ripe old age of 11, her both grandparents got sick. They got so ill they couldn't work anymore. So she had to drop out of school. Now the schools that she went to weren't the kind of schools that you and I went to. They were just like a school at a church that a missionary was teaching. And she dropped out, and she had to work full-time at a button factory to try to provide for her grandparents. And from that point on, she was an uneducated woman, and she lived with that social stigma even to this day. She has a lot of shame in that area. And she had to work full-time at the age of 11 to support her family. Her grandmother passed away a few years later, and it was just her and her grandfather. My mother made made a choice when she became an adult that she would not get married. Because in the Korean culture, especially back in those days, if you married, you, uh, the woman was supposed to leave their family and go to the husband's family. And uh, she wasn't going to do that because she knew that if her, she didn't care for her grandfather, he would pass away. And so she decided not to get married, but then somebody in the neighborhood decided to introduce her to my dad from North Korea. He didn't have any family. And he promised her, says, if you marry me, I'll promise you I'll take care of your grandfather. And so she said, okay. She didn't marry him because she loved him. She married him because he promised to take care of her grandfather. She didn't want to bear that burden alone. And she married him. She had a few miscarriages. She gave birth to her first son, my brother. I never met him. He died about 90 days after. Death was surrounding her life all the way through her life. Then she finally had my sisters and I, and I was the youngest of the three. And my father worked at Vietnam a lot, so he wasn't in Korea much because he was trying to provide for the family and he was doing pretty well. But I was born, and they decided to move to, to America because I wasn't very healthy, and there was that trauma of losing another son again. So they moved to America in hopes that I would have a life and be able to live. And so when, when, when my mother and father really started living together in America, it's when everything became toxic. And you know the story. Physical abuse, whenever he got drunk, it was hard. She decided to leave us one day because there was a public abuse in front of a party, in front of all of her friends. Well, my father physically abused her in front of everyone. Nobody stopped him. Nobody. Not only was the pain physical hard, but the shame of that was even worse. And so she packed her bags, and she was going to leave the house. And when she saw us, because we had such a small little apartment, we were all sleeping on the floor together, she couldn't do it because she knew the pain of what it was like to grow up without a mother. And she knew that if she left, because she couldn't take us, because she didn't have any money, she didn't, she didn't know how to speak the language, she had no way to provide for us, And she believed that if she left us to my dad, my dad would probably kill us. And so she made a decision that was so difficult that I would never give an advice to do that with other women if they're being beaten by their husbands like that. But she decided to say, I'm going to stay with my kids and I don't want them to get hurt. So I'm going to live this life. Whatever happens, I'm going to live it. God, I'm just going to trust in you. You need to help me. And she dedicated her life to her children and to God. And I'm here as a result of that. This little lady wakes up at 3 o'clock every morning 
It doesn't matter how hot it is, how cold it is, how much rain there is, how much snow is coming down. She'll get up at 3 o'clock and she'll walk to her church in Fort Lee and she'll get on her knees and she will pray. She will pray for all of her kids, all of her grandkids. And you know, there is nobody in this church that prays more for this church than my mom. Nobody. She always asks me, when you get in the building? I'm praying every day you get a building. <laughs> Hurry up. God's telling me you got to look, look. Get some eyes of faith. Find something is there. You're just not seeing it. It's like I'm praying every day. My knees hurt. I'm praying so much for a building. It's like relax. It's coming, mom. Don't worry about it, right? But the thing about my mom, if there's a, look at her. That's, that's real joy. She was just trying on that hat and that sweater. And she, she knew she looked silly. So I got to take a picture because, you know, I only have one more parent left. My father died three years ago. And these are the pictures I'm going to look at. Because this woman should not be smiling. She should be really angry at God for the kind of life she's had to live. She should have some deep emotional disorders and issues with her life because of what she had to sustain and the blow she's had to endure in life. But more days than not, not all the time, but more days than not, this is what we see in our home. And my kids, they get to see that smile. Her laugh will make your ears ring. That's how loud she laughs. <laughs> Whenever I hear her talking to her friends, she always does this. I feel like sometimes it's just so routine. And, but she says, anything good that I because we have to always thank God. We have to always thank God for all the great things he's doing in our life. I'm so grateful that my children are being raised by her and that they're able to sort of inherit some of her spiritual faith and they're able to kind of see what life is like when grandma cares and loves them. My mother is able to live the life that, she, that God created for her because she didn't blame anyone else. She didn't get angry at life. To the best of her ability, she makes a lot of mistakes. She relies on the Holy Spirit. She lives in the truth. And she exists to give God all the glory in her life. And she's 73 years old. So I don't care how old you are right now. You can live that for your life right now as well. And if you're young, if you get this, man, you're going to save yourself a lot of heartache because you're going to be living into the life in which God created for you. And it's not going to be just an easy life, you just kind of sipping in your pina colada, enjoying and coasting through life. No, there's going to be hardships, there's going to be struggle, there's going to be suffering, all that stuff is going to be there. But you're living the life that God created you for. And you're going to experience the joy and the incredible peace there is when you can give all glory back to God. May you know that joy and that peace when you're able to live your life in a way when you can give God all that glory how he uses you in your life. Let's pray. So will you rely upon the Holy Spirit today? Maybe you have not. Maybe you've forgotten to. Maybe you did one point in your life, but it's just been so hard. There's so many responsibilities that come your way every single day, and I get it. But today is the day where you can rely upon the Holy Spirit again. Will you do that? Will you live in the truth? The truth of you, but also the truth of who God is. And will you exist to give God glory? Can you go through all those three? And 
If you feel led to, would you say yes to it if you feel led to do it? And then I'm just going to close this in prayer. Proverbs 3 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. God, help us to rely upon you. Forgive us for relying upon our own selves, using our own wits to do that. But I pray that, especially if there are any in this room right now, God, where they just, man, it's hard. I pray that they'll just let go and they'll just raise their hands to you and say, I'm just gonna rely upon you today. Help them to do that, God. pray for anyone in this room who's going through some tremendous loss in their lives. God, that you would help them to rely upon you and that you would guide them through this really difficult season in their life. God, help us to live in your truth. I pray, God, that we would be so enchanted by you. God, that we would fall so deeply in love with you that we would want to know more about this God who came and died for us on the cross. That it would become our magnificent obsession to learn the truth of who God is. And God, would you teach us to exist, to glorify you only, that we wouldn't glorify ourselves, but that we will glorify you so that we can know the life that we were created for and we can end up living it. So bless us as a church, God, be with us, Lord. And I pray for those in this room that might, might feel real broken right now and lost for words, pray that you give them the boldness, Lord, to just trust in you and maybe even come forward for prayer to receive that and to have a brother or a sister lay hands on them and just pray for them. I pray that they'll realize that they don't got to figure this out alone, but that there are others that we can come alongside and help them in their journey. Thank you, God, that you love us. Thank you that you show us what can happen when we rely upon the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're showing us we're getting a front row seat of what happened in the church 2,000 years ago. And next Sunday, we're gonna learn of even the suffering that it's entailed as we follow you, that it's not just all these good things, but that we're gonna suffer. And we're gonna see what happens when we follow you in the Holy Spirit, that we do suffer, that we do go through hardships as well. But it's all worth it, because there's no joy and there's no peace that can compare in this world when we exist to give you all the glory. And so thank you, God, for this time. In your name we pray, amen. There's some next steps I'd love for you to take in your flip over your communication card.
The first, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, please check that off and then go to the next table outside after the benediction and a pastor or one of our leaders will be there. They'd love to pray with you and give you a new, new believers packet. Second, I will have someone speak truth into my life this week, meaning get together with someone and say, hey, you know me, you know me so well. Can you speak some areas of maybe growth that I need to look into in my life? I think that would be great, all right? That would be really great for you. Third, I will sign up to serve in a ministry today, all right? The only way you can exist to bring God glory is when you minister. And so if you look at the right hand of the communication card, there's a lot of different ministry teams that you can sign up for. Please look into that. Check that off. We'll get back to you this week. Or if you want, even better, you know, um, just, you know, email the leader. You can go on our website and find the ministry leader and say, I'd really like to learn more about this ministry that, uh, that, that you have to offer this church, all right? And get involved in that. Uh, fourth, uh, please sign me up for the partnership class on December 9th. That's another opportunity for you to get involved in the Holy Spirit's work and what he's doing here in this community, December 9th. If you've taken the Connections Dinner, you're totally invited to be a part of this, all right? Uh, fifth, please sign me up for Connections Dinner on December 2nd. Uh, that is important, especially for like if you're a newcomer, we're so much more than a Sunday church. Love for you to learn a lot more about that. So please make sure you sign up for that.